Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the second episode of Mike's podcast. And I'm super grateful to those of you who have listened to the first episode. We are just getting it up on iTunes, and so we'll start putting this out a little bit more publicly. So maybe for some of you, you will first download this episode. And I just want to let you know there's one right before this that will be helpful to set up what we're going to talk about in this episode. And for those of you that that were with me last time, um, I just wanted to let you know a couple of things in all of this. I missed talking about a whole bunch of things I'd intended to talk about, especially towards the beginning and sort of setting up what we're doing here. And really what had happened was I was just sort of like testing out the software and messing around with recording. And I just started talking like, oh, this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do. And then I thought like, oh, why don't I just like keep recording and keep talking? And then like, who knows what happened? It just kind of happened. And so there were things where like I missed stuff that I wanted to talk about. There was like, I know like I sounded weird. In fact, I asked several people for feedback and the most consistent feedback was they were like, especially for like the first half, like you just sounded weird. Like, uh, and I listened to it and I was like, yeah, I, I know I, I'm talking to a wall. I have to learn how to talk to a wall. In fact, right now, the wall that I'm facing, it's it's particle board. I have this tiny house in our backyard that when I left the church that I'd been a part of for 19 years and, and kind of started some of my own things, we built this little tiny house in our backyard that would be like my home office. And it's actually worked out really well with all that's going on right now. I have my own like little space as the kids are home doing school and Allison's home. Uh, having to do some phone in things too. And, and so I have this like separate space, which is really wonderful. But one of the things I didn't think about was how it would appear in like videos and Zoom calls. And so I've tried to shoot some videos in here and, and they just look terrible. And on every single Zoom call I've been on, every time, if there's somebody who I haven't been on a call with them yet, uh, one of the first things they say to me is they're like, hey, are you like in a bunker somewhere? I had somebody the other day asked me, they say, I think I saw some of the Jim Baker food canisters back on your shelves back there. And so apparently the sort of like particle board room appears as if it's some underground bunker to people who are watching it. So I'm, I'm calling my, my office. Now it's no longer my office. It's my bunker. But anyway, so that's kind of where I am at recording all of this. But we are spending some time looking at this ancient book from the scriptures, the ancient Hebrew scriptures called Job. And it's a story of this guy who experiences this immense suffering. In fact, what I want to sort of like call our time in this book together, I think we're going to have like six of these episodes or so. And I'm calling this sort of series, When My Answers Don't Work. Because this is what we're being confronted with in this ancient book is is this space where our answers aren't working anymore. It's a space where our answers don't make sense anymore with the way that we thought things worked, the way we thought the world worked, the way we thought how we engage with God and how like God even worked, all of that stuff. It's like it doesn't make sense anymore. And that's what many of us are experiencing right now. That As I record this, we have entered into our fourth week of of staying at home with the kids because of COVID-19. And it feels like a lot of the ways that I thought things worked, 
even some of the things of how I thought God worked, those answers that I had don't seem to work in the same way anymore. And so this book, this ancient book, has been really significant for me in trying to make sense of all this at a sort of like maybe like larger existential level and then trying to figure out like what do I do with this? And so what we're doing is spending these weeks kind of looking through this book, trying to figure out some themes from it. And as we look at these different themes, then we're just trying to ask some questions and have some reflections as we try our best to understand this ancient book and what it's saying to us today if we will enter into it. And so last week, it, it, it was asking us this question. It asked us, who will we be when what's normal and what's comfortable is taken away from us? This is the question that Job was faced with. This is the question he was having to answer in his own life, and it's the question that's being asked of us today. And so we saw last week, or we heard last week, that Job loses his livelihood. He loses the things that make his life comfortable. He even, he loses beyond what makes his life comfortable. He actually, he loses his family. And so finally he ends up with this miserable disease, this disease that's so horrific for him that it's all over his skin and he's scraping his body with broken pottery because it just hurts so much. And it's the only way to, re- to, to, to like get rid of, to relieve some of the pain. His wife says to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Like what the crud is going on here? And that's where we left off. And I, I want to pick this up in Job chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses today. In Job chapter 2, starting in verse 11, here's what the author of Job says. It says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. Now, can we just stop for a second? And I am all for recognizing the, the place and time in which the scriptures were written and, and sort of like creating space for that and that helping us to understand and enter into the scriptures in really healthy ways to see that. But can we please, those Bible translators, could you help us out here? And with some of these funky names that we get in the Hebrew scriptures, like it would be great if we could just like translate them in ways that are helpful for us today. Could it be like Eli and, and Billy and, and maybe like Zoe? instead of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. But, but anyways, that's, that's their names, and that seems to be a bit of a departure from what we're talking about. So these three friends, they heard about the troubles, it says in verse 11. They heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, that had come upon Job. And they set out from their homes, and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. They had heard what had happened. They had heard about Job's suffering. They, they, they heard all this stuff and they're like, we, we need to, we're his friends. We've got to get together. We've got to go to him. We've got to sympathize with him. We need to go and comfort him. Verse 12 says that when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And just starts to give you a picture of how hard all of this has hit Job. This disease that's all over his body has changed what he's looked like. He doesn't look the same. He's probably even hardly sleeping. He's probably hardly eating. You you know those times, don't you, where you have experienced something so 
hard and dramatic in your life, something so grievous that it, 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 it like affects you physiologically. And that's what, what Job is obviously experiencing here. He doesn't look the same. They hardly even recognize him. And so when they see him, they hardly recognize him. It says this in the rest of verse 12. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads. It's a sign of this mourning that they feel his pain, and they recognize his pain in such a way where it affects them. They begin weeping because of his pain. They begin mourning because of his pain. And then verse 13 says this, Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because of how great his suffering was. They just sit with him. They just sit with him in his suffering. Now, if you know anything about the story of Job, if you've heard this ancient story at all ever before, you know that this isn't all that his friends do. You know that the story moves on from here, and they they actually like kind of screw this moment up later on and and we'll get there. We're going to talk about that. We're going to we're going to look at that actually in in our next time together. But before we do that, before we get to that, before the story even gets to that, let's just pause here for a minute. Because they sit with him in his suffering. Before they do anything like they're not offering advice, they don't have solutions, they've got no theological statements about what's happening and why it's happening. They're not trying to make sense of it. They're not discounting it. They're not saying it could be worse. They're not trying to find the silver lining in all of it. They're sitting with him in his suffering. I, I got to tell you, friends, that I, I miss this a lot. I think Allison and I have had the conversation that so many spouses have had where at one time or another she's going through something and she's describing it to me and and I can't tell you how many times I have offered like oh well what if you did this do you want me to call them i i could handle this thing what if we did these things and almost every single time she'll say something to me like you know mike like i just want you to say like that sucks and i want you to hold me or i want you to like play with my hair and i don't want you to try and fix it i just I just wanted to tell this to you so that you would feel it with me. I mean, the reality is that most of us are actually uncomfortable with suffering. And so what we do is we try and avoid suffering. And we try and avoid suffering not just by making our life comfortable and trying to make our life easy, but we avoid suffering when we are in the midst of it, being confronted with it, when it's happening in our lives or when it's right in front of us in somebody else's lives. And so we try and avoid suffering in, in a few different ways. Maybe, maybe there's like three ways that I've experienced in my sort of pastoral career that I've, I've seen us and I've experienced myself trying to avoid suffering. I, I try and fix it is maybe the first way. And so this is when I want to offer solutions. This is when somebody tells me, here's the way out of this. This is when somebody says, here's a different perspective, a different way of looking at it. Yeah, it's hard, but what about, what about this? Think about it this way. 
your job doesn't make sense anymore right now, but so how are you going to pivot? How are you going to do things differently? Well, let's look at this differently. Let's try and fix this. Let's move through this. There's all these opportunities now. The world is changing. All these things are happening. And so let's figure out, let's figure out what you could do differently. And so we're trying to, we're trying to fix it. We're trying to find a way out of it. And there's certainly a time and a place to do that. But what if we first have to sit in the suffering before we get to fixing the suffering? Maybe sometimes the way that we try and avoid suffering is that we minimize it. We say, well, well, that thing that's happening, it's, it's actually not that big of a deal. Uh, I actually saw somebody post this on social media that about all of the high school seniors that are missing graduation and like how horrific is this? For those of you that are older, remember, remember all the things that happened your senior year and all of like what was around that and like the, what would have happened if you didn't get those things? And I saw somebody post on social media to, to a parent of a high school senior who's missing all of the stuff, missing prom and missing baccalaureate and missing the graduation ceremony and missing senior brunch and ditch day and all, all that sort of stuff. They said, well, what you need to tell your kid is like, they're just missing a silly ceremony where they're just going to get a piece of paper. But in doing that, they're saving lives. And I, I get I get it. I think I think I get it. And I don't think the person who said that or people who are saying things like that are heartless. I think that they're just trying to avoid suffering because the suffering is so much for them right now that they don't they don't know how to be in it. They don't know how to sit in it. And so one of the ways that you try and and, and like get away from it is that you you minimize it. You try and say well, it's not that big of a deal. We minimize it in that way, but, but here's another way that we minimize suffering is that we minimize it through comparison because we'll compare our suffering with somebody else's and we'll always discover that somebody else has it worse because somebody else always has it worse. I, I think we've trained you to do this in American Christianity. We've trained ourselves in sort of the American Christian narrative to look at other people in other countries and other places with other experiences and say like, yeah, I've got it bad, but man, they have it so much worse. And in some ways it's important. It's important for us to have this larger mindset. It's important for us to understand that we're not the center of the world. It's important for us to come up close with the suffering of others. It's important for us. In fact, Job is confronted with that. And we're going to look at that in a few episodes, but Sometimes we do that as a way to minimize our own suffering. Because yes, there are always people who have it worse than you. But that doesn't actually mean that it's not hard on you right now. It doesn't mean that your experience isn't difficult. It doesn't mean that your suffering is not suffering. Because your suffering is unique to you. It's unique to your story. It's unique to the place that you're born into. It's unique to your own experiences. It's unique to your own life situation. Your suffering is unique to you. And if you try and compare your suffering to others in order to minimize your own suffering, you miss allowing yourself to experience the reality of what's actually happening to you. And so we, we try and minimize it in all kinds of different ways in order to avoid suffering. And sometimes what we do to avoid suffering is we just try to move past it. 
And maybe we move past it by, by finding different strategies to numb ourselves. And so obviously substances can be a way to numb ourselves. And I, and I got to tell you, I feel super tempting right now. Like one, it's just super easy because I think every group of friends that I have is doing some sort of like virtual happy hour in the midst of COVID-19. And so it's this great way to connect with people. But it's also this like, gosh, things are crazy right now. And just having a beer, a bit of bourbon, having like something to take sort of like my mind off it, the edge off of it is this numbing thing. But we have these other like much more socially acceptable ways of numbing ourselves off. It's like getting into the scrolling of social media and just kind of losing ourselves in that. Just sitting in front of Netflix all day long. Whatever other sort of distractions we have because to just like take our mind off of it. The, the things that we do that it's like, I'm going to take my mind off of it all. What we're doing is we're just sort of numbing ourselves from it in order to try and like move past it or pretend like it's not there to sort of sweep that thing under the rug. And, and what will happen if we just like try and move past it. I remember my spiritual director told me one time, she said that, she said, Mike, I found that a lot of times that people who are experiencing some level of anxiety, and she wasn't talking about like clinically diagnosed anxiety, but just kind of like low level anxiety, the kind of thing that I was experiencing in my life. She said, I, I find that they have some sort of like unresolved grief in their life, that there's this thing that has been lost. There's this thing that was there that's no longer there anymore, and you just tried to move past it. You tried to numb yourself from it. You tried to ignore it, and in doing that, in doing that, it's still there. It didn't go away. It's still there, but it's kind of like eating at you in these other sort of ways, and it's actually even like uh, uh, physiologically affecting you in ways. And so, and so we try to just move past it. In fact, we even try to move past it by immediately trying to make next step plans. Okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. The, these things are disrupted. Life is hard right now. Suffering has happened. Taking Job's situation, I've lost my livelihood. I've lost my family. I got to start figuring out how do I get back on it? How do I rebuild my empire? How do I uh, build community again? How do I find people to be close to me again? How do I do all? And we start making all of these plans. We immediately, immediately just trying to start figuring out how do I fix this? What do I do with this? How do I move forward? But you can't dream of a future well without first grieving what you've lost. If you just try and make next steps plans and you never grieve what you've lost, your dreams of the future will always come up short. And so you need to, you need to let yourself like grieve it. And so as we sit right now, our current experience for many of us is that we're sitting in the disruption that's been caused by COVID-19. And like Job's friends, we have the opportunity right now to be able to sit with the suffering. Let me, let me offer a few thoughts on what that might look like for us to do that. Maybe what we could do is we could first name what the thing is that we've lost. Give language to the ways that you're suffering. And rem remember, you don't, you don't have to compare your suffering to others. Your suffering is your suffering. However big it seems to you, however small it seems to you, name it, own it, like give language to it. And so maybe maybe it's just simply like I, I've missed those pop-ins at my desk at work, and 
And, and there's something that's actually lost in my life because of that. There was that trip that we had planned that's no longer going to happen, or at least it seems like it's probably not going to happen. And that's a lot. I was so looking forward to that. There's that person that I can't hug right now. There's the celebrations that have been missed. There's the work that's been lost, the job that's been lost. There's the stability that's eroding. There's the next steps that I had planned that are all like thrown up in the air. And I had all of these dreams for the future about what would be and the way things would move forward and what what my next sort of steps were in life. And all of that is sort of gone. What, what is the thing that you've lost Give language, give language to the ways that you're suffering right now, that you uniquely are suffering, and then let yourself feel it. It doesn't necessarily mean letting yourself feel the suffering doesn't mean that you're like necessarily like wallowing in a pit of despair. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you don't immediately push away the sadness by trying to fix it. And you don't immediately push away the sadness by trying to minimize it. And you don't immediately push away the sadness by just trying to move past it. You let yourself feel it. And by the way, we let others feel it also. It means to sit with them in their suffering means that we don't try to fix it for them. It means that we don't try and minimize their suffering. And it means that we don't try to push them to move past it. We let them feel it. So that we, and by doing that, we, we sit with them in it. And so Job's friends, Job's friends, when they are a long way off from him, they could hardly recognize him. They see him and they weep. They weep at the pain that they see that their friend is in. They mourn over the pain that their friend is in. And then they go and they sit with him. And they sit with him because they see how great his suffering was. And so maybe, maybe what we need to do a bit right now, maybe what we need to learn to do a bit of, is to learn to sit with suffering. To sit with the suffering in our own lives, and to sit with others in their suffering. And so my friends, may we all become a bit more comfortable with the uncomfortability of sitting with suffering. Until next time, grace and peace to you, my friends.